Welcome to In the Deep. I'm your host, Katherine Ingram. The following was recorded from a Zoom session of Dharma Dialogues on December 4th, 2021. It's called Difficult Conversations. I invite you to join us for any of the upcoming Zoom sessions held on the first weekend of each month at two different time slots to find you wherever you are. In keeping with the world theme of never a dull moment, in the last couple of hours, we have had a rollicking storm here. One of the biggest ones I've had since I've been here. Big booms of thunder, lightning flashing, the lights flickering, meaning that the electricity was being challenged. And I was sending emails out to various friends who I knew would be on the call to ask them if they could stand by in case I had no electricity and I would try to get them to have access to the Zoom session and tell everybody. And then nobody wrote me back that they had gotten my message. So I was trying to figure out how to do the Zoom thing on my phone, which I didn't really manage to do. And all the while, you know, there was these claps of thunder and lightning and I was feeling anxious and I was feeling the anxiety was landing on top of an already existing anxiety about the times in which we're living. The already low grade, and sometimes it rises up, feelings of just continual having the rug pulled out from under us every day, practically. And that's a particular type of stress. There's lots of studies that show if you, and you know, by the way, the animal studies always hurt my heart. Uh, and I, I really would prefer that we didn't know certain things rather than torture animals. I don't know if you can hear the thunder behind me, but <laughs> it's been going on for a couple hours. This isn't as bad as it was. But anyway, one of the, one of the things they've discovered in stress studies with animals is if you shock them randomly, their stress levels go much higher than if there's a sort of periodic stress thing done to them. So one of the reasons I think we are experiencing, those of us who are experiencing a background of stress is just this constant uncertainty about everything. So where does the mind and the heart land? Right? Where, do you, where does it land? Where does it get to perch on a steady branch? And of course, I know and you know, it has to do with where you're putting the attention. So sometimes I just say to myself, go to stillness, go to quiet, let it go. And sometimes I even say, be ready to die. And somehow these phrases are calming to me. You might not like that last one, but you can use your own. Because it's become very, very apparent that we can't find peace in the external reality. It's not peaceful in the externalities of this world, of what's going on. And we still live in relative peace, all things considered. But we are adapting, we're having to adapt to a very different situation than we're used to. And I know many of you in Europe have gone back into lockdown again here right before Christmas. And sometimes I use the reminder to myself to be a bodhisattva, and that is to be steady for others. So I'm working with my own conditioning which as I've told many of you, and I've, told, I've said it many times on podcasts, I do tend to anxiety due to having a very 
difficult, hard childhood. I just have had a lifelong relationship with anxiety. And I would say in part was an ally because um, it drove me to find the Dharma at a young age. I wanted to make sense of the world and I wanted to calm the creature down. And so I sought some kind of peace in the chaos. And that led me on a lifelong journey for which I'm profoundly grateful. And so I'm not complaining about that conditioning. I'm just saying it's background and that's part of how I am as as a creature, as an animal. And I also have this other stream of awareness, a coexisting awareness, I like to say, that overlays a Dharma perspective whenever the stress gets intense. So I'd just like to propose that for each of us, we don't have to eradicate the conditioning. It's pretty impossible. And we don't have to expect that we won't feel nervousness in situations that are inherently uh, unstable and in some ways very threatening. Our attention can coexist with these feelings and these emotions. But it's really good to try to keep as much balance in that process as possible. And that all comes down to what you're doing with your attention and what you're doing with regard to uh, self-regulating in the process, finding ways to just come back to ground, being in nature, of course, and even if you're in the city, being in a beautiful park, looking at the creatures, looking at the birds. I watch the birds a lot. I've talked about it many times. I've been thinking about them tonight in this storm, all the turkeys and the birds, how frightening it must be. Because I notice with the turkeys in particular, who I know very well, they jump easily. Like if they hear a big sound, even if I shut the screen door a little loud when after I've given them something to nibble on, they're a bit nervous. So I've been thinking about them in this storm, roosting in the trees. They're, they're up there. And... We're creatures too, and we respond to big booms, things that are threatening. We respond to information that is troubling. We can't help it. That's, that's how it is. That's how it is to be a human. But we do have this facility of attention. So my recommendation, as always, is direct your attention as needed if you know that you need to take a walk, if you know that you need to read a book, turn on some of your favorite music. I've been indulging in something that is slightly corny, but I've been watching lots of animal rescue videos, which I can't tell you how many times I've had tears in my eyes watching these animal rescue videos. And in a weird way, they contain the whole spectrum of humans as well, because a lot of the animals, first of all, have been abused by humans, but then have been rescued by the most loving, like sweet, you just want to go move in at the house where the, where the dog or the cat or whatever got rescued. They're so sweet and so kind. And you watch these animals go from being really scared creatures, some of some of the images of dogs that, you know, are hiding underneath something or sitting in the corner and won't look around and won't even look around if someone's trying to give them food. And you watch them flower into these playful, happy creatures wagging their tail all the time, running around. It, you know, it's so beautiful to see. And I know that that is something that I have been doing that makes me happy. Or maybe it's that you call a friend you haven't spoken to in a long time and someone with whom you know that you've just got a certain groove where you just feel so seen and so met. Or any number of all the ways we delight ourselves. 
So even though never a dull moment, <laughs> we also can find peace in the swirl of this this uh, this jaunt we are on. Peace and delight wherever you can. Know that you're allowing yourself to have that experience multiple times a day as needed, many times a day. Give yourself treats. Give yourself little breaks. It's a way to enhance your bodhisattva potential, for one thing, that you'll be more steady for others. And, of course, it'll be a great calming for yourself. Hi, Catherine. It's always so nice to see you. Um, as you were speaking and talking about uh, yeah, this to coexist, it's interesting. Or I see my world has gotten very small now and uh, not being vaccinated here in Germany. And, you know, it's just it's getting smaller and smaller. But I went out and I shoveled snow today and I fed my birds and it was just, you know, that's yeah. lovely. But I have to say, I, I have knee jerk reactions of just getting so angry. <laughs> and this comes up and um, I can't swallow it down. It, it's a, a, there are little, you know, triggers that it, you said something important. It was that anxiety was put on something. There was something under it. And uh, cause I look at it and say, where in the world did that come from? Mm -hmm. That poor checkout lady at the supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, she didn't deserve it. <laughs> no, okay. but there was, you know, something like this that happened before that put me in kind of that, uh, uh, that I could deal with, but then she was just not being helpful, mm -hmm. put it that way. And it came out that way. And I was thinking, okay, yeah, um, I don't know what to do about that other than just say, I'm sorry afterwards, you know, yes. Uh, yes. but yeah. Well, that's a good thing to be doing, of course. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I guess, I guess when you notice that the tension is building and it's understandable, again, you, I always like to use reflections of different types that I basically give myself a lesson in my mind. So one of the phrases that I would use in this occasion is people are afraid underneath as well you know, and often what we're seeing in someone's misbehavior is, you know, the phrase hurt people, hurt people. That, yes. Mm. So it's like underneath is some kind of hurt, some kind of confusion, uh, some kind of, I want to say that there, there, there's a certain insecurity that they're like needing to have a position of, of seeming power. All of this, you know, goes on in, in humans who are being unkind. And, you know, some people are just so, so damaged that they are rarely kind, you know, or maybe never kind. But that's, that's a deep kind of damage, isn't it? Yes, it and is. We, we know that when we feel great inside when we feel relaxed when we feel peaceful when we feel you know happy we we want to be kind that's part of that experience and we also know what it feels like when you as you're describing when there's already a background anxiety and then somebody does something extra to cause that background anxiety to kind of burst into anger this is holding a whole lot back that's very understandable so anyway, it's all just about reflections and mm -hmm. about, and really to sort of see, especially with strangers, try as best you can to see it as weather, like, <laughs> like a storm. <laughs> Did you happen uh -huh. to be there? Right? Just try to see it as weather. I know it's hard because when we expect humans to have more consciousness about what they're doing, but as we can see from our world, that, that's pretty rare, in fact. There's a Buddhist story called The Empty Boat. And it goes like this. A man is out in his, in his own boat. And in the mist, he sees another boat coming toward him. And he starts saying, hey, move, move away. Go aside. 
and he's yelling and the boat stools coming toward him in the mist and he's now starting to get really furious and he's screaming you know you idiot we're going to collide but in the mist as it gets closer he realizes there's no one in that boat it's an empty boat and his anger dissipates mm-hmm. it's very different when you realize the the boat is empty mm-hmm. and with lots of humans they're almost on a kind of robotic programming there's not a lot of wiggle room in their in their awareness and they haven't had the privilege of practicing the dharma as we have for decades right they haven't had that privilege so they're just left with their raw conditioning whatever it might have been and through the ages you know unless you were incredibly lucky with great wise loving parents <laughs> through the ages people have been highly conditioned by their circumstances by their parents or the mm-hmm. time they were born in or poverty or struggle in various ways living in neighborhoods of violence etc and there's a kind of um armoring and a shrinking of the the mind and heart really of the capacity for even intelligent perception they're just kind of struggling to sort of survive it all years ago when i was living in los angeles i was on my way to dharma dialogues one night on pacific coast highway and it was really bumper to bumper it was just it was a parking lot and people were furious people were honking horns and it was just really tense actually and so i was watching all these people on the next lane over just creeping along and just in a rage so i actually started smiling at people in the other cars just like <laughs> you know smiling like oh god here we are you know and and inevitably they smiled back mm-hmm. most of them smiled back and it was just this moment just a little break in the stress and in the rage and and just these tiny little ways that one can have a a moment that breaks through but yeah i think also in this time people's nerves are really frayed they're really frayed and we have to be quite aware of that quite careful in a sense cuz it's maybe not safe in certain circumstances i so. find a lot of impatience on my mm-hmm. part <clears throat> when this comes up what's under that yeah but it's just yeah. impatience yeah so you know use your own ways of conceptually calming yourself down and then also add in some kind of physical thing that might help you like yeah. shoveling the snow any, <laughs> anything similar even just going out on a clear night and looking at the moon and stars that's very helpful a good reminder of the expanse in which we live and we we're, we're these little tiny dots for a little dot of time to be here that's it we're a little yeah. dot in a dot of time even that's probably an exaggeration of its importance <laughs> <laughs> probably yeah thanks thank you catherine thank you It's so lovely to see you. So lovely to see you. <laughs> and I love what you started with because the anxiety is often unspoken. Mm. And I as you know, I have a, an anxious temperament lifelong too. And it's exacerbated at the moment I think by the winter and the uncertainty in the world and so I've I've found myself reaching for kind of stillness resources and more often Yeah. And sometimes I succeed and that's fine and then sometimes I just don't succeed and I feel as though I'm just kind of hovering kind of out in the world I'm I'm doing all the things that you do to you know keep yourself in a good frame I've got my work that if I'm working with people I'm just helping them and so then I'm just on a on a roll and then I do little things on a kind of weekly basis to plan things that are nice to nice to have and i have a dharma buddy 
So with this Dharma buddy, we text each other. She doesn't like the phone. So it's a different kind of relationship. We text each other uh-huh. and we do it randomly and we only ever talk about Dharma. Wow. Cool. So it, it's somebody that I know from the past and she came back into my life and she said, look, I only want to talk about Dharma ever. And we've been doing it for a couple of years now. Really? Out of the blue, I just get these kind of reminders. And then I realize, oh, what am I doing? No. And she'll send me some resource or some saying or something. And it's actually really nice to have that kind of kind of relationship. But what I've realized in listening to you this morning is that I'm trying to get rid of the anxiety Mm. with the stillness resources. And your coexisting awareness has made me remember just to kind of be easier on myself that I'm not failing if it's not happening. Right. It's just an it's okay. to think that you have to get rid of something that's quite difficult to get rid of. Yeah. You know, another another uh, internal battle that goes on. So no, you just say, okay, I, I accept you <laughs> as, yeah, as you are. I like, I like the coexisting awareness because it's... Yeah. It's a kind of reality and it puts a relaxation around. Around it. Yeah, of course. Yes. I like the texting thing you're describing. Um, it reminds me of something an old friend of mine was doing for years with her, like her college roommate. That These are now quite older women who decide to do this together, but they'd known each other for a very long time. And they did a gratitude exchange it was by email uh like one a day and one lived on one coast and the other lived on the other coast in the usa so once a day at probably random times but what it did she said was that it it entrains your awareness to think what which one which thing today that i'm grateful for am i going to put in the email so it makes you notice a lot of things that you're Mm -hmm. grateful for in order to kind of vet which is going to be the one you're going to choose. And because they did it over some years, you know, they got really creative. I mean, it could be so simple. It could be just so tiny, or it could be something like a big uh, emotional thing in a day. But I loved the idea of that kind of entrainment. And you're what you're describing is a similar thing, whereby you're almost not forcing, but just training the awareness to go down a kind of dharma perspective a dharma insightful consideration as you're living your day yeah Uh, and what's quite nice is that if we have nothing to say we don't say anything oh so it's not a daily thing necessarily no no it's not daily but it's kind of you know it can be it can be multiple times a day okay long conversations about just going into the depth of it or just silence for a few days. Mm-hmm. And it's just the surprise of it. Oh, very good. It would be great if we all gave ourselves permission to find all kinds of creative ways that you know will be delightful for you, that will be calming, putting on some of your favorite music and maybe dancing around or not dancing, but just really listening to it and remembering why you have loved it a long time. I've been listening to a lot of music that I had forgotten about that I used to love. And, and you know, having grown up in the era that I did, we were so fortunate to have lots of that. And, and a lot of it, most people wouldn't even necessarily know unless you were around at the time. Some of the, there was some obscure, great bands in those days that not many people really would know today and just kind of kind of digging them out and going wow it just takes me back to a particular time of my own life and also a particular time of the world that was amazingly cool hello everyone i'm new i'm the new kid on the block welcome I'm where, here with, are you, where are you? We're in Queensland. Queensland, okay. In, um, I'm at my mother's place. I feel a bit nervous and I guess like many of us, um, this is a, a particularly painful time. Also, we've just lost my dad a few months ago and we're both kind of just dealing with the grief of that and as best we can. And um, 
many things, not being able to access, I live in New South Wales and not having, being able to cross the border and just an accumulation of very, very painful circumstances. And I feel like there are times where I'm completely overcome by grief or this feeling of just such a re, re, reconfiguring around life at the moment. I can feel that there is also an increased capacity to be with places that previously I just wanted out. Like this, I feel like it's this time of just such incredible claustrophobia and all the pain points are being pushed. And there's moments where I'm finding that I can exhale a bit deeper. So I'm up for that and I'm up. But then I also wonder about what about well-being? And like I, I went for a walk on the beach today and I had a look around me and people were laughing and there was like, wow, it, I haven't had as much access to the things that I used to really orient my life around before, around pleasure and joy and freedom and travel and I know how much of that was also a way of avoiding the, the tough times. Like I feel like I've always throughout my life had like this backlog of grief that I actually wanted to be able to be with as well. So I feel like now it's coming, but then there's a part that's going, shit, I don't know if I want to do this. Like then the rest of my life feels um, really quite bleak or like there aren't really any good pictures, especially because I feel like so much of how I process is around the world situation. And conceptually, I try to teach myself the Dharma sometimes and I try to orient around just, you know, the small moments around around joy and that like puppies still exist, you know, like that's incredible. And like all that, but, but there's a part that's like maybe wanting to just ask a question around like, what? So is it just letting go of the idea that life is a really good thing? Or, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, there's a lot in there, but yeah. yeah. Well, first of all, you've just had a huge loss not very long ago. And it's been my experience, and I've heard it from many, many people and a couple even on this call, that in the aftermath of that kind of loss, there's a dullness to life. There's, it's very, it's very gray. And one does in those kinds of times wonder if it's going to ever feel bright again. But happily, most people do manage to overcome it, depending on the nature of the loss. I think sometimes parents who've lost a child, that is another order of grief that is much, much harder to overcome. But I would just encourage you to, as much as possible, not go into the future, right? Just don't look into the future and just contain your, your awareness in the here and now as much as you can and do these little things each day that you know are at the very least, if they're not kind of exuberantly fun or happy, but at the very least are calming or are quieting. That's good enough for now. Just a bit of quiet, a bit of calm, yeah. a bit of just nothing else. Like, you know, one of the, there's a Zen teacher, he's dead now, but he lived in Hawaii. His name was Aiken Roshi. He used to encourage his students when they were going through the loss of a loved one to look at the night sky. I referenced it just a little while ago here this evening, but to just go out and look at the night sky and you must have a starry sky there and maybe not tonight, but just to remember the comings and goings that all of us are subject to as human creatures. We love, but it comes inevitably with loss. Either you leave or they leave this world. And, you know, it's, it's just baked into this situation. And so it's, it's just a reminder of the, one's place in the universe. Like I said, a dot, a dot in time. And it puts you, and I'm very appreciative of what you said about how when you were younger and 
And heretofore, there was a kind of, it sounded like it was very sort of bright, but that you were dancing maybe fast in order to not look at certain things. So here it comes, it lands. And it lands, by the way, in a time of, I'd say, world grief. So any extra grief on top of world grief is a lot of extra grief. And and yet it tenderizes the heart, right? And it, it makes one much more empathic when you really let yourself have that grief, like you said, really get to know it. And you realize you're walking arm in arm with all the rest of us now. You know, I often say, and it's I'm a broken record in saying it, but I I actually only hang out with the brokenhearted. I those are all my best friends. I can't really be with people who don't understand that. I can do it, I can be with them, but I can't be deep with them. And the reason I also love the brokenhearted is that not only do they know how to grieve and why the what's so of this is existence, but they also have access to the tender, to the sweetness. They know how to laugh when they can laugh. Like when, when someone who's really that full of sorrow and has really looked at it, when they do find joy, it's, it's sort of uninhibited joy because it's so welcome on top of what you already know. And it's one of the things that I so loved about meeting the Dalai Lama quite a few times back in the day that he was dealing with just the most sorrowful information as just his daily fare, not to mention having to walk out of the Himalayas to safety when he was a young man, but, but to have been this icon leader of so many people who were back in Tibet being tortured and killed and all kinds of things. And he's finding out about all these things. Sometimes they were tortured and killed because they loved him because, because the Chinese found a photograph of him in, in their, in their house. And so he was dealing with just the most horrible things. And yet when you would see him laugh, you'd feel there's just nothing going on else in that moment, but this just this purity of, of joy in those moments. Not that he ever probably forgets the bigger context, but just in those moments, you know. So there's a beauty to that when people have that kind of range of consciousness. And it's not comfortable for a lot of people. They don't want that. They don't want to feel deeply. They want to live in a narrow band. But if you're one who, and it's not necessarily by choice, but just by nature, you are feeling the range. You're feeling the deep grief. You're wondering, will I ever feel that kind of unbridled joy again? But I suspect that you probably will. And I'd say for now, your only position might be, just hang out in whatever's occurring just right now and try not to go into the future, if possible. I know we do tend to do it, but just keep yourself a little bit in check with it. Sometimes we're surprised by how things roll out, no matter what we were dreading, <laughs> you know. And sometimes even, even though we were dreading something that sort of came to be, it, it isn't exactly as we were dreading it. It's not exactly the same shape that we thought, and we don't realize that there are gifts in it as well, that sometimes there are gifts in the hardships. Often there are, actually, and especially in the case of coming to terms with the loss of a father and what all that means, and the loss of a husband, that it's, that's a huge one, you know. And it's been my experience in losing people I've had a lot of loss in my life of loved ones, really close ones, that not just the love still lives in me, the love I felt for them, but also their voice in a way. Like I often see things through their eyes more readily than I did when they were alive. Like they get a lot wiser. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's You're really welcome. precious. Yeah. You're welcome.
Hey everyone. Um, it was in relation to what's been spoken of that a title of a book came to me, which is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. The what? And The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Uh-huh. And I, I haven't I haven't read it yet, but I really like the title. And uh, in relation to the matter of wanting anxiety or worry or whatever to just go, please, and kind of keep pushing it away. I I was reminded that I very often just I want to hurry it along. Mm. Anything that I'm a bit uncomfortable about or I feel a sense of like a kind of computer background program of, oh, I don't know whether, you know, there's that sort of like kind of worry thing going on in the background. And then my other voice is trying to say, now get quiet, get quiet, come on now, just get out, hurry up now, hurry up, just calm down, calm down. And I was just having a kind of giggle about how that doesn't really work, but I, I, I still want to hurry mm-hmm. discomfort along. There's a spiritual line that used to go around. You can't rip the skin off the snake, right? A snake sheds its skin or the skin sheds in its own time. Mm. Right. Thank you. You're welcome. Hi, Catherine. What you're saying about the anxiety response, I completely relate to. And I've had a few situations the last few weeks which have caused me to it would conflict you, you know conflict that's been generated by an interaction with somebody and it's caused me to see that I can have a certain cat- catastrophic response sometimes to conflict you know where I'm in that middle zone of not knowing how to deal with it um, I, I could be angry not knowing if I should express it or you know just that kind of in-between zone and there's an anxiety response so there was one conflict I had a few weeks ago with a colleague and it generated a lot of anger and I decided to make a phone call after an email and got the voicemail and decided split second later, no, too angry to talk, switched off my phone and spent a whole week reflecting on this incident, you know, that made where I may be in in the wrong, where this person may have been in the wrong, not knowing what to do about it and and finding, I find conflict, you know, really hard to deal with. And the next thing I got a phone call about a completely different matter from this person and neither of us have mentioned it again. So I spent a week in between the zone of, but partly in a ca- catastrophic zone, I'm going to have to, maybe maybe this is it now, you know, mm-hmm. with us. Maybe this is it. And I suppose I've had experiences in the past where that has been it with people. So I could see how my response was partly affected by previous previous experiences, but also how I put on a, a Buddhist monk meditation and something in that habitual Everything about the present moment, he kept coming back to the present moment being okay, made me realize I had a habitual anxiety response mm-hmm. to these to these intense anxiety moments that it's not okay. So it was just an interesting insight to see, like what you're saying, there is a reason for it. It's not that it's overly excessive, right. but sometimes the catastrophe doesn't happen. Yes, exactly. Right. You know. Yes, yes. And, and yeah. sometimes we don't uh, fully realize how we might rise in a moment when it's needed, you know, how, yeah. Yeah. How, how much one can be a brave heart in a kind of surprising way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> in, in a moment yeah. of actual catastrophe. Yeah. 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 I also yeah. was thinking as you were talking that your friend and you maybe were both going through a similar process yeah. or at least to some yeah. degree. And it's almost like there was a cooling off period. Yeah, exactly. You know? And so I, I have had that many times with people where, right. you know, there's, well, the, just that there's some kind of agitation or some kind of words spoken that weren't quite a good fit or flow and just a little backing off, you know, yeah. just, and then when you come together and, and, Perhaps you exactly. both are reflecting on the importance of your friendship or your connection or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, 
also sometimes people have crossed a line and and um, that's right that's and, I felt a line had been crossed yeah and 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 sometimes it's hard for me because I don't want I like to be able to be courageous so I get confused when to say things and when not to say things and yeah. I suppose my instinct was just look I'm too I'm actually too upset and angry here and you know I just switched off my phone and that was it and I spent a week reflecting on it but yeah sometimes it's hard to know you, you know yeah yeah well it yeah. sounds like you had enough wherewithal in, in your own awareness to know to not be Speaking words that you're going to have to now clean up that mess. Well, exactly. I thought I'm, I, I will say what's exactly on my mind here. And I'm not sure. It might not be such a good thing. It was, it was so funny how it happened. But um, yeah, like what you say, sometimes I'm surprised because I suppose I would see myself as, you know, one other person said, I've never seen you like that, you know, quite, quite so annoyed. And um, but sometimes when a line is crossed, something happens in me and it's not it's almost really spontaneous. Yeah. So it's it's I don't have to generate it. It just happens. And it nearly takes me by surprise. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that that is certainly one has to honor one's nature. But it's also, I think, useful to have a gap between the. Yeah. OK. You know, yeah. Between the kind of words that want to come and that you think yeah. are. are certainly you know righteous enough okay but, but you if you look a little bit down the road you have to ask yourself is this actually yeah. going to be skillful okay now, sometimes the answer is yes sometimes sometimes the impulse of to say something that is true in your own yeah. being yeah. is an important and authentic standing for truth okay and sometimes one's going to take some arrows for having said it, but still sees I had to do it. I had to say it. Okay. Right. And then other times. Yeah. You know, silence is definitely the best method, even though you, you can have a whole script that you could have said. That yes. Would have been, would have been used yeah. your own position would have been fair enough. But you look down the line and you see what good is going to come of that. And you say, yeah. maybe not. Yeah. Yeah, it's just exactly. Make the make the mess more gnarly. And so, yeah, yeah. there's an expression. I mean, I was thinking throughout this, I was thinking of something you had said. People will hear your silence loud and clear. And there's yeah. also another expression. The least said, the soonest mended. Ah, is that an Irish expression? It might, maybe it is. That's what I, I, I know it. I love Irish. it. <laughs> <laughs> so both, both of we those are on my mind. Just constantly. <laughs> You know, there's a kind of um, ideology around speaking one's truth that actually I think can be a little bit narcissistic, oh, you know? Of course, yes. Like the Buddha allegedly said, always speak the truth, but only the truth that's skillful. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. You don't blurt out every single random thing that's going through your mind, no matter how clever or true yeah. it may seem to you. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's just good to have a little bit of a gap especially in moments that are very heated, but just to, you know, just to pause. And then with some insight and with some actual honest looking, in inner looking, you might still decide to say what needs to be said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, this has to be said. I mean, it took me about a week to really see, even though there was a certain unfairness, maybe he had a point about certain things, it wasn't all wrong, you know. But it took yeah. me about a week. Yeah, to really yeah. kind of see that. And I suppose I've noticed in a couple of incidents um, over a long period how hard it is to really take responsibility sometimes. And that's why people aren't doing it, because it can be so painful just yeah. to realize I was really ignorant there. I really didn't know. You know, it, it's, it's not an easy thing to do, to take full yeah. cognizance of your own actions. Well, I know. I've I always so admire people who are great at that, you know, who take responsibility for where they've made a misstep. It's yeah. It's so it's not. Um, and our culture, you know, this cancel culture with people resigning and yeah. our culture wants ahead as well. So to take yeah. to, for you know, even this incident recently gave me an insight into what some politicians must be going through when they make maybe an honest mistake, you know, they didn't necessarily intend for a scenario to turn out the way it did and then they have to resign and how hard it is to actually own up you know 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely. Yes. No. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it takes a very strong character, a very strong and and secure inside character to say, "Wow, I blew that. I really messed up. I, you know, I'm so sorry." It's. I'm always humbled when I see that. I find it so beautiful. Yeah. No, it really is, and. Um... But you, you can understand, like what you were saying earlier today as well, about um, the automaton response of the, of the non-experience of the, of the range of emotions. And because it is really difficult. Yeah. I once was, I had gone to hear a friend of mine, Andrew Har- Harvey, speak in California at this event. And it was a big event. And after he gave his talk, which was brilliant, and there was nothing in it that needed any pushback but this guy stood up and just attacked him I mean just attacked him and was and it was very personal saying horrible things and the whole room was just gobsmacked in terms of like what um and I was waiting because Andrew Harvey happens to be extraordinarily articulate yeah (laughs) and I was waiting for him to you know Maybe, yeah, or ask the guy to leave or say yeah. some quip, you know, maybe say yeah. a quip or something. Yeah. But he did something that I've never forgotten. And this is a long time ago that this happened. He said, you know, I'm going to really take to heart a lot of what you've just said. And I'm going right. to look at it. Right. Yeah. And it was so, it was breathtaking how humble he was in that. And yeah. I, I didn't feel like he was just doing it as yeah. a show of some sort. Yeah. Uh, he he diffused the whole thing. And there was nowhere for the guy to go with that. And the whole room calmed down, actually. I calmed down as well, because I was triggered by the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. On on Andrew's behalf, you know, a kind okay. of, what, what a terrible moment in this situation. And what a terrible yeah. person, <laughs> you know. And I had a whole thing. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it it just softened. It was like this waft of love went through the room and of forgiveness and of just what I was saying earlier. You don't know what somebody's yeah. demons are in their head, you know? You just don't yeah. know. Yeah. And sometimes their behavior does give you a clue. <laughs> yeah. And he, he, he showed him understanding. He did. He did. He showed him compassion. He did the exact thing that, that probably the guy most needed, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. So, so the silence or taking time to reflect, it's not, it's not lack of courage. It's, it's allowing wisdom to be spoken okay. rather than reactivity. Reactivity right? and impulse. Yeah. yeah. And also yeah. there might be a message that was going to come out during the reaction that would be better phrased if you just yeah. give a pause and let things calm down and you might yeah. still have to deliver a similar message but you might deliver it yeah. with nonviolent communication right okay okay yeah uh, you know that methodology nonviolent communication mindful uh, communication no non nonviolent right okay yeah um i haven't heard it but i can imagine yeah take a look there's tons of stuff online but it's there's some very basic principles okay or nonviolent communication, one of which is that you don't, first of all, you don't tell people what their intentions were. And you, right. you use a lot more I language in your. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. And you, 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 you're not assuming what their mind state is in the, okay. the equation. You're basically speaking about what the situation brought up for you or the emotions you are having. And you, you eliminate blame in a sense. Yeah. 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 In the language, right? Yes. And and I think if somebody if somebody speaks words to you that are hurtful and the person says, My my feelings are hurt, that's a very different expression than you're a mean person. You were being mean. Yeah, yeah. Very different thing. Nobody can say to you that you, you, nobody can tell you what you're feeling. You can say, when you said those words to me. Yeah. You know. Which again involves a a humbleness to to own your feelings. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it is hard to say that I was hurt. Oh, absolutely. Very hard, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. No, I don't like saying that. (laughs) I know. But isn't it amazing when someone says to you that not something you might have done or overlooked or whatever, if someone says that, that hurt me. Yeah. In a way, their position just grows huge. It's so... I'll speak for myself. I'm so humbled and so right, sort of self-examining. Okay, <laughs> you know, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's and good. so the very resistance where we feel of not wanting to say I'm hurt by that. Yeah, yeah. As though you're going to be a, a little squished mouse. <laughs> um, and in fact, it's, it's like a it's like a, a lioness speaking. You know. Okay. Because yeah. So brave to say it and so powerful yeah. a, a message yeah. to deliver. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Um, thanks for that, Catherine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, thank you. You're welcome, Sarah. In the last um in the last couple of weeks, I've actually faced faced the, the need to I was encouraged to speak up in an event. We were having like a team building exercise and I I, I had something, I'm, even though I'm a leader, it's something that I was very hesitant to give this person feedback. But I was encouraged that we need to be open and we need to give the feedback. And I gave the feedback and the person left the room and left the building. So I had to sit with the fact that I'd been encouraged to do that but take responsibility for doing it because I, I went into oh, I was pushed to do that and therefore that's not my responsibility. So I, I did contact the person I left left 24 hours and then I said I had to be careful not to overcompensate as well. So I just, I apologise for, for deeply upsetting them. Mm-hmm. And that's what I could do authentically. Yes. What mm-hmm. I said, I felt I needed to say and I didn't add that in because I thought that was too provocative. But I, st- I just stayed with the bit that was authentic because the previous week, ironically, you mentioned family violence. The previous week, I'd upset the family violence team by talking about gender equity, which is something that it's critical for me. And they said that I had disrespected gender equity. And I don't happen to agree with them, but but once again, I could find some some ground to say, I am sorry, deeply sorry that I've upset you. If there are any insights around that, or I just have to be humble and say I'm But what's coming to say is that sometimes we have to make a distinction between the role of a leader in a group who has to speak certain things in order for the greater good of the group to keep functioning and one's personal relationships and one's personal interactions so sometimes it might be easier to let something go if it's just you and the person but if you're in a group and you're sort of protecting the vibe and the energy of the whole group and trying to keep it on track that's a different role and requires a different level of responsibility so I can imagine that that distinction has to be made maybe since you're thinking that that these incidents have happened all in a a bunch maybe there is some examination just simply about the way you phrase things not that you have to stop speaking out and protecting the group and put keeping things on track but rather there might be ways to say things that like I said, in the nonviolent communication style, you know, that it's just easier to have people hear. And some people still react. That then is not your business. If they react and you've said it really well and clearly and it had to be said, then you've done your part, you know. So, yeah, it, take a look at some of that material. It's very, it's great to have in your toolbox. Hi, everybody. Just just wanted to tune in, I suppose, this morning, just really soaking in the lovely sharing and the, the the honesty and truth, I think, that I'm hearing, which is really refreshing. Um I think being in that 
leadership role is a very lonely place. And I've had some really acute experience of that recently and questioning, am I choosing to be in this role that puts me on an island, you know, where I feel misunderstood or I feel disrespected? But because of the role and the position, I can't I can't really respond in the way that I might like to, particularly in a professional setting where I know that I won't get the support in particular of the organization I work for. And, you know, it would be going down a very long road where I just wouldn't be supported. And the, you know, the the people or person that I might be having conflict with, you know, will probably just go off sick and get paid full time. (laughs) And that will just mean I have to work even harder. So it's a real dissonance that I have in my professional life. And I'm not sure how much longer I can tolerate it, to be honest. I think I think the last couple of years have been very challenging with COVID. And then we had a cyber attack, as some of you will know. So it's just been exhausting. Um, and I have felt exhausted. I don't feel as exhausted as I did. But it's a, it's a constant challenge. And hence, it's lovely to be here with you all this morning and tuning into to to what you're saying and sharing and, and really resonating. So thank you for the offerings on that. Well, uh, I've I've enjoyed listening to so many comments tonight and so many responses to comments, and I I, I found them very reinforcing because they brought up issues in my own life that we all have in common. And and I think I have a, a, a good the daily meditation practice that brings me to many of the things you said. I think the one thing for me that I'm discovering is new and trying to figure out is the the aging and and the dying process and you mentioned early tonight that sometimes you find some peace in uh saying i'm ready to die yeah i said be ready to die be ready to die but to think about it to you actually have to actually think about dying to be ready to die and it's not so much the dying although i think i do need to think more about that but it's the aging process it it is the watching the body deteriorate Uh, i have my foot elevated at the moment because i had friends over for dinner and i was on my feet for a good part of the day preparing food but even just being on my feet uh, for all, it, it feels like my ankle, like I twisted it, you know, that kind of thing. And that's just one example of a, a cascading series and, <laughs> and, and, and mentally is as well. I've always prided myself on being very good at details. And I seem to be going to say to my wife frequently, you know, I screwed that one up. I, we were trying to just transfer some money to make some college gifts to grandchildren. And I, you know, I sent it to the wrong place and, you know, things like that, or yeah. I get, I get pulled into a scam on the internet, you know, and I end up paying uh, a little, you know, a penalty for, you know, it's hard. It's, it's very, very hard. And, and one more thing, I think back on both of my parents who lived long and full lives and, and, and no longer alive. So much of this, I, I, I think, is genetic, maybe not because you had a bad childhood, but just how you yeah. how your genes are made up or whatever. My mother grew in, increasingly anxious as she grew old and, and became fearful of many things. And my father, on the other hand, drifted more off into senility. And, and he, he lived to be 101 and he was still able to make a, a decent speech at his 100th birthday yeah. party. But it was it was a downhill thing. I I kind of hope I go more like my father than my mother. I'm fearful of of cascading into that anxiety place. And maybe if I'm screwing up some details, I'm drifting off to a happier place. I don't know. (laughs) Well, that's a very nice perspective on it. Um, (laughs) Well, I so relate being the age that I am. And one of the perspectives that I say to myself and like you lots of things are uh, slipping away including my attention to detail 
which used to be something I could rely on. Uh, I'm dropping balls. And my body, that things stop working like they used to and they don't come back. It's just, you know, it's, it's just, just more of that. But I also allow those letting goes because you get pretty good at letting go as you age. The phrase aging is not for sissies or being old is not for sissies. You get pretty good you, and, and pretty quick with it. And I've let it be a reminder for me that this is the this is the way of it and that it it does in a sense prepare one for the big letting go the aging process is a lot of small and medium letting goes headed in that direction that inevitable direction so there is a kind of grace to being able to age and have that experience and basically say goodbye to lots of things that once were that are no more for for you personally. And also there's something very relaxed about, you know how when we were younger and you were around someone who was an older person who wasn't in high anxiety, but just an older person hanging about and having had the experience of lots of letting go, there's something very relaxing about it, isn't there? I have a phrase that I say often, which is grandmothers should rule the world (laughs) 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 because they're so usually so chill. You know, there's something very uh, calming to about being around someone who has done a lot of letting go. There's a wisdom that comes with it. Unless you're fighting it every inch of ground, there's a lot of wisdom And we know what it looks like when people are fighting their aging. It's such a sad kind of really scary thing. In fact, when somebody's really fighting their aging and lamenting and constantly living in some kind of other fantasy. And there's something very beautiful about someone who wears their aging in a kind of straightforward way. Yeah, I, I, I think of uh, plastic surgery as you're saying that and because you use the term to wear your aging mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I guess trying to make it go away by yeah. that kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. You're not fooling anybody. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> and. There was a woman who had a, a beauty product company of things that were of skincare that was made a lot with honey. She was very into honey as, as a product. And so I was using her products and she had a kind of blog and and she was all about natural aging. And she had she was gorgeous. And she had white hair. And I was still coloring my hair in those days. And then I heard she died. She died of cancer. Not many people knew she had cancer, but she did die of cancer. And on the day she died of cancer, like I said earlier about letting the message come through, I stopped calling my hair from that time on. I made the decision that day, I'm not going to ever color my hair again. And I never did. (laughs) Um, And it, it was such a liberation on so many levels not just to not have to be bothered with the ordeal of it, but on so many other levels about aging, just kind of saying, this is it. And wanting to be, not just for my own sake, but also wanting to be an example to others, like she was for me, to just just own it, (laughs) you know? And so in your case, I would say, yeah, there's definitely aspects that are super hard. Definitely. I'm quite challenged to drive in the rain or in the darkness. So there's um, a limitation that's inherent that didn't used to be there. And I have problems with my feet. I used to be a long distance runner as a kid. I ran long distance track for my school. And to think that I went from that to now I can't really walk a long, long time beyond an hour of straight walking, things like that, you know, that you just adapt and you're grateful for what's left. I'm very grateful when I think about being able to still walk, given the alternative, 
of not being able to walk, I'm so grateful that I can walk. It must be very late where you are to in New York. Yeah, well, it's it's actually very early. It's 4 a.m., but my wife and I both signed up for your things thinking I was going to do it 7 o'clock tonight, and my wife bought theater tickets. And so I thought this was a good compromise. I, I set the alarm, and I got up, and I don't know. It's not bad. It's not, well, you know, it's we're not doing bad. it tomorrow more on your time. I know, but my, my wife bought theater tickets. Oh, and, okay, I got it. And so I can't make tonight. So uh, okay. kept peace in the house. She didn't feel bad about buying the tickets. And I didn't feel badly about losing this session. So I, I, I appreciate the fact that you have options. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Beautiful. Well, anyway, yeah, I feel, as you can imagine, I have tremendous resonance. Uh, I think we're probably close to each other's age. And so um, for all you youngsters out there, <laughs> here's a message in a bottle for uh, all of you. Um, you know, life is hard in many ways, as we've heard tonight. And as we all know, life is challenging and it's glorious. It's amazing. Even in the midst of despair, when we are in the darkest moments, we still want to be alive. We still love life. We have to admit that to each other and to yourself, that you love life. We're in a hard time, no doubt about it, but we still love life. And we can still give ourselves permission to find the little jewels that are yours in your life really celebrate them, turn them every which way to see the sparkles. This has been In the Deep. You can find the entire list of In the Deep podcasts at katherineingram.com, where you can also book a private phone session and view upcoming events, such as our monthly Zoom sessions. I want to deeply thank our donors for your support and encourage our other regular listeners to consider making either a one-time or a recurring donation. We would also be grateful for a review on Apple Podcasts or on whatever platform you're listening. Till next time. <laughs>